Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Tracy Conan. She is the owner and founder of Sequence Inc. Forensic Accounting. She's also a forensic accountant, a CPA, and an author. Welcome, Tracy. How are you doing today? Hi, Brad. I'm fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I'm looking forward to jumping in and learning more about and sharing your story and your journey. I am excited to talk with you. It is so fun to be on a podcast that's a little <laughs> bit different than the ones that I'm usually on. You know, normally I am talking about personal finance with people who are helping those who are looking to create a better financial future. I'm talking with people who have podcasts about divorce. <laughs> and so I think that your podcast is a little bit different than all of those. Well, good. I'm glad that I can provide a bit of a change for you in your podcasting journey. So let's jump right in. I'm curious, why did you decide to pursue a career in accounting, Tracy? Well, it was less about accounting and more about investigations. Okay. I was a criminology major in college and my goal was to become a prison warden someday. Wow. <laughs> I, right. That's one you just don't hear very often. No. <laughs> but I was very fascinated with prisons, prison life, the societies that are created inside the prison walls. And I was very much into watching documentaries about prisons. And I still am, by the way. And I really thought that I could do so much good behind the walls of a prison as a warden, creating positive change there, helping to take what is a terrible experience for people, both for the offenders and the victims, but turn it into something positive to really focus on how can we help the inmates become better people and, and things like that. And so, of course, it was probably very much a very positive spin on a difficult situation and probably unrealistic, but that was my thought. Wow. And <laughs> yeah. So in my criminology program in college, my sophomore year, I took a class called financial crime investigation. It was one of the electives that was available and I just really took a liking to it. And that's when I decided to take an accounting class or two and see how I liked it. I liked that as well and did very well. And that's when I, I decided that I wanted to become a financial investigator at that time. It wasn't called forensic accounting in my world. That phrase was out there, but yeah. it wasn't widely used. But that's when I sort of took a liking to this field and it's been my thing ever since. 
That's a very interesting story and quite a different path from sitting behind a desk in an office or in your own office and, and dealing with finances and accounting as opposed to a prison warden. I but know. We end up on the paths we're meant to be on. So, wow. So for those who might not know, Tracy, what is a forensic accountant? I like to say that I find money. I do fraud <laughs> investigations. I know, but it's the easiest way. Can you find way. me some? Well, the funny thing is I will say to clients, I find where the money went, but I don't get it back for you. That's someone else's job. (laughs) So I do fraud investigations. A lot of it is for companies that have executives who've been stealing from them. Okay. Some of it is in the divorce space where I have clients who are high income earners and are looking to find out if their spouse has hidden money or has been spending money inappropriately? What have we been spending our money on? A lot of it comes down to just an understanding of how much the family's lifestyle costs because for very high income earners in the US when they get divorced, their child support that they may pay, the spousal support that they may pay is going to be different than the average Joe would pay. And it's a lot of it based on how much has it cost to live their lifestyle? And then how much will it cost to live that lifestyle after the divorce is over? So how long have you been working as an accountant then? I started over 25 years ago and I've been a solo practitioner for 23 years doing only forensic accounting. So I don't provide any traditional accounting services or tax services whatsoever. I only do the fraud investigations and testifying in court and all those things that a forensic accountant does. Now you have a CPA. So did you start out as just a regular accountant or did you jump right into forensic accounting? And I don't mean regular account, but you, you know what I mean? Like- I know exactly what you mean. And the answer is yes, I was okay. a regular accountant. When I first came out of college, I worked for Arthur Anderson in their audit division, doing financial statement audits. I knew that I wanted to be a fraud investigator, but I did not find a job in that specialty, which was fine because I now look back on it and know how important it was for me to sort of see regular numbers, regular financial statements that didn't necessarily have any fraud involved. Because what I found was What you learn in accounting school versus what you see in the real world are kind of two different things, right? In accounting school, there are problems, you know, exercises that you do and all the numbers turn out right. But in the real world, you're looking at real numbers and you're saying, okay, this doesn't balance and I don't know why. So I got that traditional experience for 18 months before I took a job with a small firm that did only forensic accounting. And that's when I started really in the specialty. Okay. Now, is that a typical path though for people that get into accounting as they start out as a CPA and then move into forensic accounting or do people jump right into forensic accounting? Well, back when I did it, it was more typical to start off doing traditional accounting services, whether it would be audit or tax work. But today I think it's more typical that people will specialize immediately because there are internships in forensic accounting. There are actual majors in forensic accounting or certificates in forensic accounting. So students are able to jump straight into it. And I actually think that there's still a benefit to going that traditional route. Like I said, spending a year or two just learning how the financial statements work in the real world before you jump into the specialty, I think has a great benefit. I would think so too. I mean, get your teeth cut first in the accounting world to learn a bit about everything, right? Get your start. Mm -hmm. 
So what inspired you to start your own accounting firm, Sequence Inc.? Oh, that's an easy one to answer. (laughs) I spent a couple of years at this small forensic accounting firm learning the specialty. And at the time, there weren't courses in college that you could take on forensic accounting. So it was really a lot of on-the-job training that was necessary. But I got to a point after two years with the firm where they said, well, okay, it's time for you to start finding clients of your own and bringing in business. And I thought, okay, I can start to do that. I don't have much of a professional network, but I can start to do that. But I knew in the back of my head, that I wasn't going to be with this firm for much longer. I knew that maybe two more years I'd be there and then I wanted to start my own. And I thought, gosh, if I'm going to start my own firm in two years, then we're going to have to play the game of whose clients are these? I found them. Are they my clients? Are they your clients? Am I trying to woo these clients to come with me? And I didn't really want to do that, number one. And number two, I had a little bit of a different idea of how I wanted to do business. I wanted to do fixed fees for my clients. So in the accounting world, almost everyone bills by the hour, just like attorneys do. I didn't like hourly billing. I didn't want what you as a client pay to be tied to how much time I spend on something. I think that there is an opportunity for abuse there. Okay. Why is it your problem if I work slow, right? I wanted instead to go with fixed fees where you and I agree up front on okay. exactly what I'm going to do for you and how much it's going to cost you. And then how much time it takes is my problem. And it was really, when I started doing that 23 years ago, it was super odd. Nobody was doing it. Yeah, that's a unique approach. But even today, 23 years later, I have other forensic accountants who push back on it and say, oh gosh, I could never do that. You can only do fixed fees because you're a solo and you have smaller projects. And I'm like, no, I've done huge projects using fixed fees and there's a way to do it. And I've tried to teach people how to do it. And I've finally kind of given up on that. Like, (laughs) why is me teaching you how to do it? Like my problem, but it's been the client satisfaction has been so great as has mine, because I don't have to keep track of every one-tenth of an hour. And I don't have to send out bills that say, oh, look, I'm charging you $200 to respond to emails. Nobody wants to see that. So that was really a big part of the impetus for me to start my own, because I wanted to do something different in that regard. That's pretty powerful, though. I mean, you're, you're potentially, I guess you could, some people would say you're leaving money on the table by doing things that way, right? Because you're not billing by the hour. I'm only leaving money on the table if you assume that I'm selling my time. I don't want to sell my time. I want to sell my expertise. And the truth is, I'll tell your listeners a little secret. I make far more than I would make if I was charging on an hourly basis because I have found efficiencies in my process Mm -hmm. that allow me to charge a certain amount of money, but it takes me, let's say, half as long to do a task than it takes someone else who hasn't created the process I've created or found the efficiency that I've found. Tracy, how did you come up with the name for your company and when did you start sequencing? When I started the company 23 years ago, I just did it under my own name. A very typical thing that people do for accounting firms, they use their name in some regard. My name was my only thing I had. I really didn't have clients that I was taking with me. I didn't have much of a professional network, but I used my name. And a a couple of years into it, I decided that I wanted to grow a traditional a firm with a lot of people and eventually sell it someday. And I didn't want it tied with my name because it's hard to sell your name. So I worked with a creative person who came up with something like 50 different possible names. I said, I want it to make people think of numbers 
and think of either putting something in order or putting together the pieces of a puzzle, bringing order back to something. And he came up with like 50 different names, but I loved sequence because a sequence of numbers to me felt like it was sort of intuitive, but not obvious and really got some negative feedback on the front end. When I picked three or four names and my clients are all attorneys. And so I went to some of my attorneys that I trust and said, what do you think of these names? This was the one that I got the worst feedback on, but it was the one that I liked the most. And so I went with it. (laughs) You go with what you love, right? It's your business. It's your company. You're the one who has to live with that name. Yes. Which industries do you think forensic accountants are most needed in? It is not really that industry specific. It's across a wide variety of industries that we are used. So any sort of company that has a a manager or an executive stealing from them can use a forensic accountant. You know, I have sometimes potential clients come to me and say, well, have you ever done a case in this particular industry before? And I say, I haven't, but I've done a lot of different industries. I can learn an industry really fast. And what's important here is the knowledge about fraud and how to investigate fraud. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Fraud is fraud. Okay. Now, in your opinion, what are a few of the most important skills a forensic accountant should have? Well, of course you have to be good with numbers, Mm -hmm. but I always say having good intuition about fraud is really important. So when I'm doing my work, I sometimes just get a feel about where to look for the fraud or how the fraud might have been committed. And so being able to have that good gut feel about it is, I think, a necessary skill and one that I can't teach. You either have it or you don't. Yeah. I also think it's important for people to be able to dig really far into the details, but not lose sight of the big picture. And I find some people struggle with that. So we do a lot of detailed work and that's fantastic, but you always have to be able to step back from that and say, what does this mean to the larger picture of it? Does this issue matter? How does this fit in? Again, that's something that's hard to teach. So those are the things that I key in on as being some of the most important things in forensic accounting. Tracy, what advice would you give someone who wants to pursue a career in in forensic accounting? I think if you're either a student or a young professional just getting started in accounting and you know that you want to specialize in forensic accounting, that it's important to get any experience you can. So that would be looking for an internship, looking for a volunteer opportunity, or if you are already in the workforce, talking to your employer and saying, I am so interested in fraud. If there is any project that has an aspect of fraud involved in it, could you get me on that project? And so what I'm advising people is get experience any way you can. That's really the best way to get started in forensic accounting. I think that's the best way in anything. I mean, any any field you're going to get into, hands-on experience far outweighs what you can learn out of a book, right? Well, I don't- Have someone teach you. Yeah, I don't know how many aspiring forensic accountants are listening to this podcast right now, Mm -hmm. but if there are any, one of the great places to go volunteer is police departments. There are financial crimes that are being reported to the police, but they really don't have the people to be able to investigate these. And the police are typically more focused on violent crimes because that's what's so visible in the community. But in larger cities, 
They do have financial crimes units and they can always use an extra set of hands. So if you're a young accountant, if you presented yourself to them and said, I'd love to volunteer to help investigate these cases, you'd have a pretty good shot of getting some on the job experience. Well, thank you for sharing that tip, Tracy. Sure. What differentiates you or separates you from other forensic accountants? Why should they hire you as opposed to others? Well, I've already talked about the fixed fees. So that is a huge differentiator. But the other one is that I have this ability to make the numbers understandable to anyone. In every case, I'm thinking about what if someday a judge has to read my report or a jury has to understand my report. I assume that they know nothing about accounting and they're not even good at numbers. And I make my reports in such a way that they can still understand them and follow the money along with me. That would be so important because, yeah, I mean, people who don't understand numbers or accounting would have a difficult time understanding what you're putting into your reports. My reports are typically shorter than other experts. Okay. And sometimes the attorneys I work with say, oh, gosh, I thought this report would be longer. <laughs> I don't need to belabor it. I want to get straight to the point and take you from point A to B to C to D to here's the conclusion. This much money has been stolen. <laughs> well, I want to just another, get there. There's another differentiator yes. of why people should hire you. <laughs> yes. Very straight ahead to the point. I get you from here to here in the shortest amount of time, and that's it. Absolutely. One of the other areas of focus of your business, and I know you mentioned this very, very briefly, is high net worth divorce. Why did you decide to pursue that area of focus for your business? Divorce is a big specialty within the area of forensic accounting, and it's one that I shied away from for a while because there is such an emotional component to the divorces, and I really wasn't prepared to deal with that. I got involved with a divorce case in mid to late 2000s that came to me from a referral. It was a great case. It was one I didn't think I could turn down based on who referred it to me. I didn't want to disappoint them. So I took this divorce case and found that I really liked it. And what I found was that particularly for women, there is an element of divorce where I want to help them. I want to help them know the numbers. I want to help them find the money. So even as far as we've come in our society with equal rights and such, there is still a larger instance of the women not being the maiden breadwinner or not being in charge of the family's finances or both. And so they're in a position of having less information, less control over the money. And so I find my role is very important in some of those cases because I am helping them uncover what happened with the money. And I just think that that's such an important thing to have available to people who are in the process of divorce. For sure. And so when it comes to this area of focus in your business, are most of your clients women then, or is it a mix of both men and women? On the divorce side, it is more women that I'm working for, but certainly I do have men as clients. I did a case last year with a man who was my client who had been a stay-at-home dad His wife was a physician who was bringing in a million to $2 million a year. They were getting divorced and two things were happening to him. One, she was saying, I don't want to pay you any support. I'll give you $2,000 a month for the next year. And then you can figure it out on your own after that. And he said, well, we've been married for 15 years. That doesn't sound quite fair. 
Yeah. And number two, she was saying, well, I think that you have been hiding money from me our whole marriage. And so, so that's why you shouldn't get anything. And he said, well, I haven't been hiding money. And so part of my role was to help prove that he indeed wasn't hiding any money, that it could all be accounted for. So certainly I do the same work for men, but more often I am hired by women. So is your approach then when you're working with men versus women, because the male side of it is so far and few between, how different is your approach when dealing with these clients? Not different at all. Okay. Because I'm very fact-based. Okay. The numbers are what they are. And I don't care if you're a man or a woman hiring me. I don't care if you're the alleged good guy or the alleged bad guy. I mean, yeah. in this case, my, my client was the alleged bad guy, right? Yeah. But in other cases, I might be hired by the husband who is the main breadwinner who has been handling all the money and might be seen as the bad guy because he doesn't want to pay a lot of support or things like that. The numbers are still the numbers. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about them. So my approach is really the same. What type of client or person is your ideal client? Like what things do you look for in a potential client before deciding to work with them? Oh, that's a really great question. What I'm looking for is clients who trust me as the expert to know the correct approach to the investigation. I also want to work with clients and attorneys who are, I guess, collaborative. So I, I spend most of my time working with the attorneys directly. Okay. And I want to work with an attorney who is going to strategize with me and then let me do my work and let me be the expert. You be the attorney, I'll be the expert. Yeah. And together we have a same goal of winning a case for our client. Now, again, the numbers are what they are, and I'm not going to lie, but there is certainly some strategy involved with choosing which numbers we're going to focus on or which, which issues we're going to focus on. Yeah. You play in your sandbox. Your sandbox is law, mine's accounting and numbers. You stay out of mine. I'll stay out of yours and we right. collaborate together. <laughs> and we make each other look good. Yes. There you go. Which sometimes, is the important thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult when I'm working with an attorney who makes things feel like it's a competition of right. who's smarter or better. And it's not about that for me at all. I'm here to make you look good and help you in your case. Does that happen often? Fortunately not. I think, okay. but I'm really good at selecting clients. I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, good go. at on the front end, identifying an attorney that I think would be difficult to work with. And then just saying, unfortunately, this is not a case that I can consider taking. You're the creator of the divorce money guide. Can you talk and share a little bit about that, Tracy? Absolutely. In the course of doing all of this divorce work, I realized that there was a whole group of people that I wasn't able to help. As I mentioned, I work with people who are higher income earners, and that's partly a function of how expensive it is to have a forensic accountant involved in a divorce. Right. You know, it's typically costing ten to $15,000 just to get started with a forensic accountant and more if you have a complicated situation. Probably 95% of people who are involved in divorce can't afford that kind of money, but what do they do if they have questions about how their money was spent, if they wonder if their spouse was hiding money? And the attorneys have been saying to the clients, well, sorry, if you can't hire a forensic accountant, there's not a whole lot we can do. I was frustrated with that response. And I said, why can't there be a product? Why can't there be something out there for people? And then the question became, well, why can't I create the product? So I created the Divorce Money Guide as sort of a do-it-yourself forensic accounting for divorce. Okay. It is an online guide that combines videos, 
PDFs of written materials that walk you through what to do, worksheets, checklists, a super easy 10-step process for people to evaluate the finances in their divorce on their own without investing thousands of dollars. So if someone is going through a divorce and they purchase your divorce money guide and they're going through, but they have questions, can they reach out to you to ask for your help with it? Well, that's a great question. We have the guide itself, which is really a really self-directed product. If you wanted some assistance, we have an option to get the guide plus group coaching. Okay. So the group coaching component is eight weeks online in a private Facebook group where we once a week meet on video and I go through some material from the divorce money guide, show you more of the how demonstrate how to, you know, deal with some of these issues. Everyone can ask questions while we're doing that. And then when I'm done with the material, we open up the floor for ask Tracy anything. And so that's your opportunity to get help with anything in your divorce, any question you might have about the money from, you know, asking me, I found this transaction or I saw this on a tax return. What does it mean? All the way to, I'm concerned about this issue and I talked to my attorney about it. My attorney said, don't worry about it, but I still feel uncomfortable. What do you think? So it's an open forum for them with any question. They could come prepared with their questions. And I think that's a great option for them because, you know, sometimes people have struggles going through self-taught things or self-learning, self-work procedures. So it's great that they have that option that they can tap into as well. It's been really well received. It's something we didn't start out with when I rolled out the divorce money guide in summer. We just had the guide by itself. And then by popular demand, we brought out the coaching option because people were having questions and saying, well, I want to be able to access you. And I'm saying, well, gosh, how much <laughs> There's time only can one I... me. <laughs> right. How much time can I spend with someone? And you know, this person wants to email questions to me, but another person maybe doesn't realize that they could. Okay. How do we make this fair and how do we leverage my time? And what's really great about the group coaching option is that you don't have to be available during our live session. If that's at a time when you're working or dealing with the kids for whatever reason, you can't be there. You can send in questions ahead of time that I will answer. And then there's a replay available So after the session is over, that replay is available for 48 hours. So you can go ahead and download it and watch it when you have the time. Oh, that's an awesome option. Thank you for sharing that, Tracy. Mm -hmm. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I never quit. One of the things that I found out when I got the brainstorm for the Divorce Money Guide, I started talking to people asking for help. How do I make this happen? Who do I need to help me? What do I do? What are all these moving parts that go into creating a guide like this? And I found out early on that most people who have ideas like this, probably 80% of them never bring them to market. They work on them and they never make it happen. And so I knew from the very beginning that what was important to me was to make it happen and get a product out. Do not quit. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Oh, it's so individualized, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is, absolutely. To me, success is well-rounded accomplishments. So not just at work, but also in your personal life. And I think feeling happy and content wherever you are. I'm 
have always been very goal oriented and I'm always pushing towards that next thing and always coming up with new ideas and working harder for the long term. But what I think is super important is to be content with what is happening today. So even if those long-term goals never happened and I never achieved the things, could I be happy today with where I'm at? And I can say a resounding yes to that. So to me, <laughs> that is it. success. Living in the now, it's so important. Mm -hmm. Tracy, what was a turning point in your life and how did that affect you? I'm sorry. That's okay. Take your time. 10 years ago, my mom died. I'm so sorry. That changed my life forever. My mom and I were super close. She was my travel buddy. We traveled around the world together. And so it was really hard to lose her. She had a terminal illness and passed 11 months after diagnosis. Oh my gosh. And really that 11 months was very, very difficult. She was not herself. She wasn't able to do the things that we did. And so it was a situation where our relationship changed immediately and what we were able to do together changed immediately. And, you know, I, I think that that is part of what goes into my living in the now and being yeah. happy in the now, because you just don't know when it could all change for you. Absolutely. I'm so sorry for your loss, Tracy. Thank you. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I don't know what my life was like before learning it, but my parents always valued education. So I come from a family where my mom stayed at home. My dad worked in a factory. We didn't have a lot of money, but my, my parents made the most of what we did have. And the thing that they always valued was education above all else. And so they somehow found the money to send my brother and me to private school, a wow. Catholic private school, because they felt that's where we would get our best education. They set us up that if we wanted to go to college, that we could, they didn't mandate it. They didn't push it, but they certainly said it's a really great option if you want to do it. And I think that that focus on education and learning as the path to a better future was really instrumental in my life. But like I said, I don't know what life was like before I learned that that was important. <laughs> they sound like they're incredible role models, Tracy. They were, they were. It was always about hard work, about being responsible for yourself, about being honest, about bettering yourself and taking control of your life. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I think my success with my business was unexpected. I know that might sound strange because I know what a hard worker I am. I know that I never quit. And those types of things do lead to success. And yet the amount of success I've had is unexpected. I, I've been able to you know, build some financial security for myself that I, I didn't know that I could have. That's a great blessing, <laughs> unexpected blessing to have for sure. What does the word empowerment mean to you? It means... Being in control for yourself, of yourself, and not in an overbearing way, but just that self-agency of having the information you need, having the ability to accomplish things, knowing that you as a person can change your situation if you choose to. Beautifully said. As an entrepreneur, Tracy, what would you say, in your opinion, are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? I would say knowledge and expertise in whatever it is that you're pursuing, finding the right tools to help you 
accomplish whatever your business is supposed to accomplish and finding the right people to partner with, whether that is partnering with them as employees of yours, as business partners, as people with other businesses who you can collaborate with. Collaboration is such an incredibly important part of entrepreneurship for sure. It really is. You know, as I look towards the next year of my business and the Divorce Money Guide, because it is such a new product, I have been working on the strategic plan for the next year, right? Yeah. And what kinds of things am I going to do? And so I was writing down these things and trying to prioritize them and organize them and seeing what makes sense to focus on. And all of a sudden the light bulb went off in my head and I said, why am I focusing on things? Why not focus on people? Who can I collaborate with to advance the business? And it has been a mind shift since I started focusing on who instead. I love it. It's so, to me, it's, it's probably one of the most, if not the most important part of entrepreneurship is surrounding yourself with these people that you can connect with, with like-minded people that you can support each other. Entrepreneurship is not meant to be done alone. Correct. It's so important. So Tracy, what would you say is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? I think it is my individualism and my wanting to do things my own way. I think a lot of people become entrepreneurs because they want to do something different. And that is really what spurred me to do my entrepreneurial thing. Excellent. What is one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started out in your entrepreneurial journey? I think I underestimated how difficult it would be to develop clients, develop a stable income. You know, I underestimated how the market would receive various ideas that I had. So I would come up with a great idea in the world of fraud for a new service that I could offer to clients and everyone was going to want it and then nobody wanted it. (laughs) And all those kinds of things I think you underestimate when you're starting out. Yeah. But now look at you with the divorce money guide. That's a huge thing. People are wanting it and they're even stepping into the add-on to work with you in a group coaching environment. So it's great. Yep. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions is just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be Encyclopedia Brown. So I hope your audience is old enough to know who Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown is. That's more than two or three words. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. You can expand a little bit on your answer. It's just, we don't need like three, four sentence answers. That's all. (laughs) Tracy, how would you describe yourself in one word? Honest. Early bird or night owl? Both. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Don't lie to her. (laughs) If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? You are capable of anything. What is your favorite self-care practice? Getting massages. At what time of day do you get your best work done? All times. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? How to get knocked down and get back up. I had a scenario that's going to sound crazy. I got sued for $270 million and it was no joke. (laughs) $270 million? 
It was no joke. It, it wasn't one of these silly, like, oh, we'll sue you to scare you and then everything will be over and it'll be fine. It ate up five years of my life. This company was trying to destroy my career and my personal life. I nearly lost my home. I nearly lost my business. I was nearly unemployable wow. because of what this company was trying to do to my reputation. And you know, the big life lesson for me there was how to come back from something like that. I mean, I came out of this with $100,000 in credit card debt from paying attorneys Jesus. that I had to pay off little by little. And, and so there's a, you know, there's all sorts of things I learned throughout that, but I ultimately came back much stronger. So even when you don't think you can, you can dig down deep inside. We all have that resilience within us and we can do it. It's just, yes. it takes the work. You got to dig in really deep. Well, yeah. kudos to you for doing it. I think that's huge and it speaks to who you are as a human being. So good for you. Thank you. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most? I think I just told you that yeah. that was the one you know, when I say it took five years from my life, that is not an understatement. So the the legal situation lasted for five years. Yeah. And that entire time, I was worried about what would happen to me and my financial future. So there was, you know, it was a long period of time and certainly shaped my thinking in a big for way. Sure. What is something surprising you've learned about yourself in the past year? That I am a master of creating content. As I started doing the Divorce Money Guide and then started developing ideas for other guides, and I started you know, writing articles for people and doing all these sorts of things, I realized I had no idea how good I am at creating content that is engaging and useful and that you can give it all away for free because my brain will create more. <laughs> Just give it away for free. My brain will create more. I love it. Tracy, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I would want to sit down with my mom again. Just give yeah. me 10 minutes with her. I don't even need an hour, just 10 minutes. You know, I, I think about that often because I lost my dad last year. It was a year ago in October, October 31st. And, you know, I've often thought about that over the course of the past year. And it's like, give me one hour, give me 10 minutes, but would that be enough? I mean, you'd have that 10 minutes. And I, I think personally for me anyways, it would just leave me wanting more time with him to talk to him. And it would never be enough. 10 it would minutes never, never be enough. enough. No, it wouldn't. It, it's grief is such a, a tough animal to, to tackle and to deal with, but 10 it's minutes. It's so weird. You know, you think my mom has been gone for 10 years. Why do I still cry when I talk about her? Cause she's your mom. That's why. That's, I mean, she was she, the best person I ever knew. There you go. And that's why, right? But, you know, I've recently stepped into this mindset, or I'm trying, we'll say I'm trying, because I can't say that I have fully done it, but I'm trying to step into this mindset where it's more about now celebrating him, celebrating and thinking about the good memories and thinking about the good times. And I mean, his birthday's coming up this month, so we'll have a dinner and a birthday cake for him. And, things like that, as opposed to sitting around and mourning his loss and always being down about it. And that's not to say that there's not tears and there's not days where I miss him. Of course, there are going to be. But I think we deal with grief in such a, a very, I, don't, I think we need to shift our thinking around how we deal with grief. It should be more about celebrating the person and thinking about the good things, you know, as opposed to sitting around and wallowing and being sad all the time. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with being sad, but 
I think we need to shift the thinking around it and change the way we, we deal with grief. Less focus on loss would probably be better. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tracy. You're welcome. Tracy, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think I would have told myself to stick with things a little bit longer. When I left that forensic accounting firm to start my own firm, I was not prepared. And if I had spent some time at the other firm, first of all, learning more skills, but second of all, giving myself time to come up with a strategic plan for starting my own firm, I think I probably could have seen more success quicker with my firm. Do you regret the way you did things? Not really, but I see how I could have done it better. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, Tracy, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I think I would talk about things like integrity is what matters most. And caring for others and helping others is what matters most. I enjoy being successful in my business. I enjoy my financial success and the choices that that allows me. But at the end of the day, my integrity and my honesty are worth far, far more. And caring for others and helping them is worth far, far more. Beautiful. Great way to end the interview. Tracy, thank you so much for being here today and sharing a little bit about your journey and your story and for educating me on forensic accounting. That was a very interesting chat. And thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing those personal bits of your story and your journey. I appreciate you. And it's been an absolute pleasure having this opportunity to sit down and talk with you and learn about who you are and what you do. I feel the same way. Thank you for stepping out and having a little bit of a different topic that I hope (laughs) is of interest to your listeners. And thanks for asking me some questions that uh, really got me thinking and telling you some of my secrets. (laughs) It was my pleasure and my honor. Thank you for divulging those secrets. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Once again, my name is Brad Welsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest was Tracy Conan. She is the owner and founder of Sequence Incorporated. She's a forensic accountant, a CPA, and an author. Thank you so much, Tracy. I appreciate you. Have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.